to yet another episode of the Lions Love by Donkeys podcast. I'm Joe, and with me, per always these days, is oh, yeah, Nick. Dude. Assuming you're not locked into an office somewhere. No, just here. Yeah. And we are on part six, the conclusion of our epic French invasion of Russia series. No, part seven's here. No, but uh, you know, I may have. So sometimes I give the illusion that I I'm good at planning, and I know you know that I'm not. Uh, you've known me for years, uh, but our listeners probably think I'm good at it since I research and I write all these scripts. I am not. Um, many I, adventures we've been on have <laughs> definitely been awful plans. Yeah, I, yeah. Um, the way I run this podcast fits snugly into our podcast to- uh, topics because I just start researching things. I never really uh, uh, map out how long they're going to be until I start writing. Uh, it just turns out the average between six and seven episodes. I had no idea how long this is going to be. I just knew I wanted to fit it in before episode 100, and I failed. This is episode 99.5, <laughs> which I said the last episode I would <laughs> yeah, not do. <laughs> so welcome. You said that was for a bunch of square bitches. Yeah, and I am a square-ass bitch. Uh, <laughs> someone's going to isolate that audio and just play it and repeat for intro now. That'd be fucking awesome. Soundboard. Yeah. I'm, you know, I'm endlessly happy that I have managed to not create a soundboard uh, through nearly 100 episodes now, a uh, 99.5. That'd be awesome. Because I would, we're a shitty radio station. I would use it so much. Nate would quit. <laughs> He's like, not doing it. I'm fucking out. How about we give you a raise? <laughs> uh, so, you know, I guess like a, a soundboard for our series would just be like a series of gunshots and explosions, which fart noises. The uh, it's like uh, the Family Guy episode Which, where they had a, a come on baby in the dog or whatever. <laughs> it was baby in the dog. It was baby in the dog. And then just making, baby in the dog, just making fart noises for like hours at a time. So um, when we left you last week, uh, Napoleon and a shambling corpse of an army began to withdraw towards the Polish border for winter quarters. Now. There is a small side story that developed in the city of Moscow itself as the French left. They could only take so many wounded people with them, uh, forcing them to leave many behind. Yeah, they had to take all the goods. Yeah, they did load up their, wa- their wagons with more loot than wounded people. They were like, people. hold on, they're still wounded, but there's way more space for goods. We're good. Uh, but it, we should point out that uh, some of this was because customs of the time were, well, they have to be treated fairly uh, by the enemy when they... Uh, come back in like the russians have to take care of them now like even in world war ii people still did that right like uh which is incredibly dumb uh because that goes sideways uh almost immediately uh but the problem was that the people of moscow were uh in something of a mood uh you see Mm. Uh, now they were seeing their chance to strike back at the french and if you've listened to our several other episodes you'll know that the french had treated the people of moscow like shit very uh, so they set upon any French person left behind, slaughtering them in the streets. Quick, that one doesn't have legs. <laughs> he can't even crawl away. <laughs> and you know, at this point, I'm sure most of the French would have like, finally, please. <laughs> yeah. Like, Thank God. Just Leave him alive. Kill no! me. No. <laughs> and then they, uh, this uh, rampaging mob came to the Foundling Hospital. Uh, it was a joint hospital that treated both the French and the Russian wounded from Borodino. Um, and the the mob was stopped. See, Captain Thomas Abri uh, of the French cavalry joined forces with three wounded Russian generals to organize a defense. And uh, they they stood wounded as shit, ordering soldiers to fire. 
from both sides onto the civilians to keep them Holy at bay. Holy shit, what? <laughs> Tag team back in! <laughs> shit. Like I said, it, it's, the, it's the generally unified theory of fuck those guys. Like, look, we slaughtered each other at Borodino, but fuck those guys. Yeah. Because, <laughs> like, the Russians were probably also going to get murdered. For yeah. sure. This had a lot to do with general anger at military in general, because, like, Remember, uh, the people of Moscow had been abandoned by the Russian military as well. They weren't they weren't they defended out. at all. Yeah. So there's a good chance that the Russians were going to get bludgeoned and looted as well. Uh, but you know th- that's like it's kind of fun. They they held out in the hospital until Russian uh, regulars showed back up in the city and retook it. And they're like, "What in the fuck is going <laughs> they on?" They just rolled in like, "What? Yeah, uh, uh, whatever. We're back, y'all." <laughs> Uh, so Napoleon's plan. Which one of you guys has goods I can take? <laughs> now let's get let's start the looting with you. <laughs> Fuck. Uh, now uh, Napoleon's original plan was to make something of a fighting withdrawal, and it also had something to do with the, like he wanted to exact vengeance. Like he didn't think he was defeated. That's pretty important to point out. Napoleon did not think of himself as defeated, nor did he ever. Uh, he thought that he was simply making a tactical withdrawal. So, uh, like, he thought it would be a good idea to march his army directly at Kutuzov's camp at uh, Tartinia, which is nearby. And it actually would have been a kind of a good idea. We're not going to go into it very deeply, since the vast majority of the popular narrative of this entire series is on the, the misery of the French army. But the Russian army was not much better off. Really? Uh, I mean, because, you know, fighting in winter sucks. Uh, they're, they're chasing the French. They've been burning everything down. They really don't have a ton of food either. Most of these guys are largely untrained peasants. So, like, they're not exactly in fighting shape. Uh, not to mention, um, at this point, uh, the the rapid advance of the Grand Army killed off mostly new recruits. So, like, the last people left, assuming they had not been killed at Borodino, were veterans. Oh, wow. So, like, while the the Grand Army had certainly been leaned out, they are actually more efficient now. Oh, wow. <laughs> that will rapidly change. And this is the last time Napoleon could have seized that opportunity. But he randomly changed his mind and did not do that. Just off a whim? Yeah. Uh, like, even most of his officers were like, yeah, we should probably attack Kutuzov because he's just going to attack us when we try to retreat. Uh, well, sorry, withdrawal. They're not, they're not, uh, it's not a route quite yet, but uh, they're like, yeah, we should probably hit him again. And uh, Napoleon's like, eh, 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 never mind, we're going to go to the West. We're just, we're just going to move around him. His brain was doing gymnastics again. Kind of. Uh, he, he started to move towards the town of Kaluga, uh, virtually for no reason. Now, when Kutuzov heard of the French withdrawal, he is always pretty slow to act. Uh, but he eventually ordered his army to give chase in the normal Kutuzov fashion. Uh, spattered orders to random people, making his army pretty much move randomly, bits and pieces at a time. That way. Yeah. Uh, now, Russian and French units raided one another until the French occupied the town of Mario Savlitz. Uh, around 25,000 soldiers, mostly Italians, uh, came under the command of Napoleon's stepson, Eugene, uh, Prince Eugene, and he defended the area. Now, I know we uh, we have a lot of a lot of good time here shitting on Italians. Uh, not going to do that. Uh, we're, not this time? Not, not this time. Uh, the Italians, uh, probably the best soldiers in the French army. <laughs> Really? Yeah, uh, maybe uh, other than the Swiss and the Dutch, which we'll talk about later on. Uh, and, you know, the French weren't bad either, but, I mean, eh, technically, uh, Prince Eugene was not Italian, but he was uh, he had a lot of loyalty from the Italian troops, mostly for uh, the, the fact that the Bonaparte family 
It was kind of legendary in their Italian campaigns. Oh, I thought it was just because best marinara sauce. Yeah, his breadsticks yeah. were fucking bomb. After this, we're going to go get some broads and then a lot of <laughs> gnocchi. Yeah. All right. So we already broke our promise. <laughs> we're, we're fucked with Italians yeah. again. <laughs> we just can't make promises here. The only good racism is Italian racism. <laughs> it's okay. We can make fun of white people. Always. I encourage other people to do it. Anyway, uh, if you remember uh, Gen- Russian General Doctor uh, from Smolensk forever ago. Smolensk. Still. He still was- sounds like it smells. <laughs> it's, it's full of corpses now. Controlled by the, the dog legion. Um, Rotten salami and ball sweat. Uh, Dokhtarov launched the offensive against Eugene's forces in the town. And I have to say that uh, the name Eugene, not cool compared to a guy named Dokhtarov, right? No. <laughs> Dokhtarov sounds like he fights Spider-Man. Yeah. Eugene sounds sure. like he does long division. Like he does accounting for Spider-Man. <laughs> yeah. uh, th- there's a lot of like nervous glasses pushing up. <laughs> uh, now, the town changed hands multiple times during the fighting. And then the town caught on fire uh, because that's what towns do in Russia during this time period. And most of the fighting was hand-to-hand, street-to-street affairs. And this is because the, the smoke was so thick that nobody could see each other or maneuver on Fuck one another. that. So, like, soldiers would hunker down in buildings and be firing on people, then quickly realize, like, oh, that's us. I hope they speak my language. Uh, they probably also didn't because uh, a lot of the officers were French, uh, did not speak Italian. Many of the Italian foot soldiers did not speak French. And nobody can hear, too, because they're all firing next to each other's ears. Right. Because they're always in lines. Also, they can't see because they're blended by smoke. Uh, and then the, the burning houses collapse down onto the defenders and the attackers simultaneously. Uh, it, it was not good. <laughs> it's all bad. Nobody had fun. Now, Dokhtarov himself had to admit that the Italians, quote, fought like lions. And uh, not, I fought like Giovanni down <laughs> 32nd Street. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm not going to stop. <laughs> I'm never promising again. <laughs> Uh, they're all from New York. I don't know. I do not know why. It has to. Uh, and Napoleon called his Italians, quote, the bravest troops in Europe. The most tanned out, gymmed out, fucking. They had, they had the, the, the tallest hair and the deepest of olive skin. <laughs> now, after a long night of fighting, uh, the Russians were forced to withdraw, leaving behind around 5,000 dead. That's uh, food. <laughs> score. <laughs> Yeah, you know, the main reason they fought hand-to-hands, it's really hard to get the entire uh, Italian hand uh, meme into the trigger well of a musket. Very true. So they just have to just frantically stab at them with their fingertips. Oh, that would suck too, just pop, 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 just <laughs> taking claws just to the fucking eye. Just snatching out eyes. Yeah. Uh, not to take away from the glorious stand of Prince Eugene's Italians, because it was impressive, but his success probably had a lot to do with the fact that the Russian troops that Dokhtarov had sent into battle were largely untrained. And some of them did not have muskets. That's a trend. <laughs> it's it's just like uh, they they had uh, farm tools and stuff like that. Like they're they're militia scythes and shit. Yeah, they, hammers. They were the 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 levied militia that most that a lot of people uh, maim themselves that are getting out of. Uh, but you, know, you 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 throw enough militiamen at a problem, you either solve the problem or you have less militiamen, which is a solution into itself. What farm tool is that? It's a cedar. Can I get something cooler? <laughs> that can probably kill. I brought the combine! <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> In the land of 1812, the man with the combine has a Gundam. <laughs> now, um, it, it, the problem was is that 
the French lost another 4,000 men holding that town, and it was tactically pointless. Uh, so I guess I do have to take away a little bit from Eugene's victories. And there'll, there'll be a string here where Eugene continuously wins like glorious victories that are pointless. He liked what was going on in the town. He was really good. Best gelato in this <laughs> town. We're going to defend it. <laughs> it. Smells like smoked meats. <laughs> and everybody's yelling at each other out of windows. Town's on fire. Gelato's <laughs> fucked. God damn it. It needs to be cold. Uh, now, this, this wasn't really a defeat for the Russians either. Um, it was, I guess, a Furic victory for the French. But they just withdrew and uh, joined the rest of Kutuza's army. That was now camped right outside and now outnumbered them by tens of thousands. So now the plan of moving towards Kaluga was fucked. And uh, unless he could fight, win, and break through the entire Russian army that was now standing in front of him, he had to think of something else. Um, now his aides came up with the plan that he should probably retreat towards Smolensk instead. But Napoleon wouldn't really commit to the choice. Smells there. Don't want to go. I heard the dog running the place. <laughs> uh, instead, he decided to ride out and see just how bad the situation was because I guess having several marshals and all of your scouts going, shit's fucked! He's like, nah, I'm going to have to go check this out. Yeah. So he jumped on his horse and rode out to the front and was immediately attacked by a group of Cossacks. What? <laughs> the, yeah, he almost fucking died. Uh, his aides managed to fight them off, but it was a really close call, and it was something that terrified Napoleon for the rest of his time on the on the retreat. Holy shit! Like, he wasn't going to go out scouting anymore, which is a problem because he didn't trust anybody exactly. else to do it. Um, Napoleon was still pretty undecided as to what to do, despite the fact he was just attacked by Cossacks where he thought he was safe, and he began thinking fighting Kutuzov would be a good idea. Now, I said before that fighting at Tortino probably would have been a good idea, but probably not anymore. Uh, he would be fighting Kutuzov on the defense, like he had done at Borodino. Mm. And uh, just like he had done at Borodino, Kutuzov began to dig in, thinking Napoleon was going to attack him again, re- remembering that now Borodino is a tactical loss for the Russians, hypothetically. They, they left the battlefield is how you can judge these things in the 1800s. But it was an overall strategic success because they had mauled the French army. So Kutuzov wanted to do it again, uh, thinking that he could finally just like finally crush the great army, and he probably would have been right. Uh, but finally Napoleon's like, hmm, guess we can't attack him now. He knew he couldn't have another Borodino either. Fuck no. Yeah. It was probably good for the Russians that they had dug it because it was something of a bluff. Kutuzov himself thought that the untrained troops of con- uh, untrained groups of conscripts and militiamen that made up his army would probably immediately break in open battle, regardless if they outnumbered the French by tens of thousands and were dug in behind bulwarks and redoubts. Digging in scared off Napoleon from a battle that he kind of had a good chance of winning. I mean, the the legions of uh, the Russian army that he fought at Borodino were all pretty much dead at this point, uh, or or so badly thinned out that they had been reinforced with a whole bunch of recruits that had no idea what they were doing so it would have at the same time i don't see this as like a strategic victory for napoleon either because if he would have smashed katuzov again uh and really did chase him off he could have slaughtered all of katuzov's army and it wouldn't have really mattered remember the french are still starving they hardly have boots on their feet anymore and they're still hundreds of miles away from home which is the only secure place in the entire continent of europe at this point yeah so like they would have accomplished nothing like the i i guess if they would have defeated them and miaroslavets and then like marched on moscow again i don't know 
Like, what would it have achieved? They would not have had the manpower after that battle to march on St. Petersburg, where the Tsar was. So congratulations, you're right back where you were. Nowhere. <laughs> you see, you're fucked. <laughs> like, hmm, I have once again defeated myself. <laughs> but nobody can defeat me but me. <laughs> again, Marshal DJ Khaled, congratulations, you've played yourself. Uh, instead of committing another Bordino, Napoleon officially ordered a retreat towards Smolensk, which is important to point out. Remember, he was supposed to be withdrawing. He wasn't retreating yet. It's semantics, but it means something. Nobody, like, even in the ranks, even though they knew the reality of the situation, which Napoleon was kind of separate from at this point, the men kind of knew that they were in a bad spot, but they didn't think they were retreating. They didn't think they'd lost. Now they're like, oh, fuck, we lost. <laughs> so morale kind of took a nosedive. Um, but it wasn't like, fuck this, I'm throwing my weapon down and, and I'm running. It was like, suddenly they're God emperor that could do no wrong, that they all openly said they would serve until the death. They're like, huh, I guess he can fuck up too, which is kind of yeah. big for them. Oh yeah, actually, yeah. It's, it's kind of earth shattering to a lot of people, especially, I mean, this army still has veterans, uh, in it that had fought with Napoleon in Egypt before he ever attempted to seize political power. So, like, seeing, uh, following that arc all the way through, he's like, oh, man, we must be fucked if Napoleon was wrong. So, to make things worth, the retreat brought with them, uh, brought them back to the battlefield of Borodino. Not great for morale, either. The dead had been left out in the open to rot and had been eaten by wild animals. Oh, God. Again. Many soldiers remarked that cold had preserved the dead enough, so their dead eyes were still intact and staring at them as they walked by. Yikes. (laughs) Yikes. <laughs> uh, you got any food? You're still alive. <laughs> Please just end it. All the other dead bodies are keeping me warm. <laughs> but this actually forced more people to believe in Napoleon's greatness. Because if anybody could find a way out of this shit, it must be Napoleon. Like it drove people, like that whole saying, like um, uh, adversity brings you closer. It was, it was kind of that thing. There was like, well, he may have fucked up. But if there's one person that can get us out of the life, it's Napoleon. So while their like morale to fight may have lowered, their devotion to Napoleon yeah. grew only stronger. Nice. I mean, it's like surely he'll save us. Like he's not going to just lead us all to die, right? 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 <laughs> oh, everybody's dead. Oh, I'm the I am the last guy in France. <laughs> Fuck. Uh, several officers who hated him before that said they saw him warming his hands next to a fire with a group of regular soldiers, and swore right then and there they would serve him until they died. But the fire's too hot for his hands, but he won't retreat. He's like, <laughs> oh, good. Yeah. Thankfully for a lot of those officers, that death would come rather rapidly uh, for like tens of thousands of people. Thank God. So they wouldn't have to wait too long. Yeah. I mean, it really seems like at this point, Napoleon created a more effective death cult than an army. Oh, dude. <laughs> Which I guess is weird flex, but cool. I don't he know. did something. Yeah. Then one, like as one final fuck you to Russia, Napoleon... Uh, on his retreat, ordered every village that they passed to be burned to the ground. A trend. See how you like it, assholes! And then uh, when they made it to the town of Kolitskoy, a town that had been uh, turned into a a transit point for the Napoleonic wounded, like they were slowly being evacuated back. But uh, it it had kind of gotten jammed up. It was still full of wounded, and had not been uh, moved further to the rear for care. They were largely untreated and starved, and Napoleon decided they should be taken with them. When were you wounded? Literally the first day. I'm still here. <laughs> my, I broke my foot in Poland. <laughs> um, 
that like it was one of those things that okay you know hypothetically the wounded train will eventually get you back to france but like well then roads are cut off because cossacks are everywhere nobody left any troops back here to fucking guard anything it's like whoop, we're here so i um, it's one of these weird things napoleon does something that i think makes him a good person but also a kind of a dumb military leader like you don't want to be in between on any of this situation like either alive or dead Wounded sucks. Wounded is pretty much a death sentence. It's yeah. just a really slow one. Exactly. Now, he, now, most of the doctors told Napoleon that like they understood why they wanted to, why he wanted to bring the wounded with him back to France, but it was a really fucking bad idea because everybody that was there was going to die anyway, regardless of what they did. Um, and and to make things worse, all these wounded will just slow you down, and that's not really an option that we have right now. Uh, also, there'll be a huge drain on what little resources that we have because now we have to give them water and food, which, again, we do not have. Yeah. Uh, so uh, Napoleon just kind of shrugged, like, yep, put them on the wagons. Go ahead, boys. <laughs> God damn it. Horses are pissed off. Damn it. The ho- horse is like, this could not get any worse. More people? Fuck! I thought we got rid of all of you. <laughs> yeah. uh, most of them died within a day or two uh, on the march. And to make things worse, sometimes wagon drivers saw the strain that they were putting, uh, the ad- added weight was putting on their horses, which were, remember, mostly starved to death and sick themselves. So they kicked them off the wagons, left them to die on the side of the road. <laughs> Can you imagine just being that cargo? Just, all right. <laughs> <laughs> hey, well, he's not moving. Time to kick him off. I was like, I'm alive. Yeah, you won't be for long. <laughs> Tuck and roll, buddy. <laughs> just like, kick him off oh, the side. rigor mortis has set in on you. <laughs> he's talking. I'm just cold. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and like they just like buried them in the snow that hopefully like nobody would notice. <laughs> Don't worry, this will insulate you. <laughs> the next day, Napoleon pulled his aide uh, in for meeting Calincourt, the guy who I I have come to convince is a much better emperor than Emperor Napoleon. Oh, for through, sure. Through the course of the series, um, now uh, Calincourt is pretty open to the fact that like we're never going to make it to Smolensk. We're we're fucked. We're not going to make it. We can smell it. Well, we won't make it. <laughs> the dogs will keep us at bay. Uh, Napoleon flowed the idea that he might need to retreat on his own back to Paris, leaving the army. Calincourt said, that'd probably be a pretty good idea. Just, just by himself. <laughs> uh, the army had been out of Moscow for about 10 days, but had gotten virtually nowhere. All those goods they took. W- that was part of it. Uh, the reason for their slow march was a literal lack of horsepower. <laughs> Almost <laughs> almost everyone outside a few elites and a couple wagons was marching on foot. Their wagons being drugged by men on foot. They just have a bunch of us. Yeah. Uh, also, for some reason, the French still had with them about 3,000 Russian prisoners of war, slowing them down even more. Just let them go. Yeah. <laughs> what the fuck? Smolensk was still 10 days away at best, and they had no supplies, cavalry, or any idea what the Russians were doing. Because... If people were unaware, you generally use cavalry on the march as a screening force and to keep an eye out for like anybody trying to flank you, attack you from the rear, whatever, encircle you. They didn't have that anymore. So there's like, where's the Russians? Eh, somewhere from the east to the west, probably to the south. Uh, they're just everywhere. It turns out uh, the Russian army, uh, this the Russian army itself was not something they really had to worry about. It was the Cossacks. They waited at the edge of the uh, French army, occasionally raiding in or ambushing foraging parties. The French were shocked that a lot of these guys were firing arrows at them. What the fuck? Uh, because they they were some of like remote tribes and stuff like that of the steppes. Uh, but they were stalking them like vultures and flying around a dead animal. Like the French were a Twin Peaksing fucking 
Colleen. Now, the the important part is like the this wasn't new. The Cossacks were doing much of the same thing during the advance, but the French ignored them because they had the cavalry to keep them at far enough away from the main body that they really only were able to pick off a couple foragers that wandered a bit too far. Uh, the French also thought they were cowards for refusing to engage them in open battle. Uh, but now that the French had no cavalry to guard their flanks to change the co- chase the Cossacks off, uh, things kind of changed. The Cossacks became a huge psychological weapon and demoralized even the most veteran French units. And the Cossacks really didn't care about war. They cared about looting. Uh, the retreating army was huge in spoils now, as they had literally looted their way across the Russian countryside and into Moscow. Uh, and the Cossacks were having a great time picking it apart and stealing that, as, along with tons of French stuff. The Cossacks were now wearing multiple colorful French uniforms, wearing watches around their necks, jewelries, and furs. And in one case, they had raided Marshal Ney's dress uniform, and French soldiers were confused as it seemed like a Marshal of France was shooting and laughing at them at the edges of their column. (laughs) (laughs) He's moved on to better things. Man, that guy's smart. You guys are going to play Cossack too? Uh, This is where quite possibly my favorite quote of the entire war comes from. A marshal screamed at units of the old guard, one of the best units left in the army, for flinching at the sight of Cossacks, saying, quote, the Cossacks are there, there, and there, pointing in every which direction. If you do not follow me, you're fucked. I say to you again, if you do not stay with me, you're fucked. And anyway, I don't give a fuck. You can all go fuck yourself. Really? (laughs) What? That's a real quote? (laughs) Yeah, that's not me making that up. That's a marshal of France yelling at soldiers. (laughs) That's awesome. It is amazing. Imagine a general talking. This is higher than. Imagine if we had a five-star general that talked to people. That when way. I hear a fucking major start cussing, I'm like, "This guy's fucking cool." <laughs> <laughs> if you all don't follow me, go fuck yourself. Like, all right. Soon, uh, there were the, just the mere mention of Cossacks would send soldiers running for cover and dropping their weapons in fear. Some commanders wanted to abandon their cannons which were taking up the few remaining horses. This would allow them to use his horses to remount some cavalry and use as a defense against the raiders. But Napoleon refused, despite the fact he had been attacked by Cossacks because there was no cavalry protecting him. The French army was retreating in echelons, with one group following another. And when I say echelon, consider it like a large group of men at a time, kind of moving in the conga line of, of misery and depression. Napoleon was in the lead and Marshal Deval was in the rear. This led to an unseen problem, uh, even though they should have seen it because they ran into the same problem during the advance. Each group moved through, uh, uh, and more people would fall out. Uh, more people, more wagons, more horses. People would slow down, uh, or they would just drop dead. Wagons would break down and be abandoned. Horses would finally drop dead. So the further back you happen to be in the echelon, the more shit was in the way uh, and clogging the road, kind of creating a traffic jam. So the people in the rear, again... Are fucked. Getting fucked. Yeah. Uh, it, so again, it turns into a uh, giant accordion. When Cossack attacks came, and they often did, the, the massive moving people would panic and rush away from them. People would slip on the ice, and they'd be trampled to death. Oh, fuck. Yeah. <laughs> Much like the, on their way to Moscow during the retreat, resources were wiped out by the first group, leaving nothing for the people in the yeah. back. Yep. Yep. <laughs> it's it's just because it worked so it's well like, the first time. Yeah. But play the same song. <laughs> yeah. do, 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 do. <laughs> It's the Tatooine bar, but (laughs) uh, a retreat. See, I'm sprinkling in Star Wars, so you respect me more. (laughs) This is great. Much Uh, respect. And this is when the first accounts of cannibalism come. But 
not from uh, the French. It was actually the Russian prisoners began eating one another. Yep. <laughs> and the Russians, uh, or the, the French at the time were like, barbarians. Ho, 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 their time is coming. <laughs> yes. That guy still has a fucking arm he's saving. <laughs> uh, the Russians launched an ambush on Davao's column, surrounding his 14,000 exhausted men with around 25,000. They almost certainly would have been destroyed if it wasn't for Eugene and Ney turning around and breaking through the Russians, opening a route of, ret- of retreat, which Davao immediately took. Kutuzov and his entire army uh, were in place to attack Ney from behind, but instead just sat there and did nothing because Kutuzov kind of sucks at his job. He was napping. A- another Russian officer sent so many messages to Kutuzov begging him to attack Ney, Kutuzov threatened to hang the next messenger that showed up at his tent. I can't read. I'm trying to sleep. <laughs> the French had lost another 6,000 men, but were still some of Davao's men who were seasoned veterans had thrown down their weapons and ran. Something that was like, mm, this, is, this does not bode well. The constant battles, raids, and marching eventually stretched the retreating column into such a length of, uh, of distance that different parts of it would experience different weather than other parts of it. Oh, that blows. <laughs> Eventually, the distance between the head and the tail of the echelon would be more than 62 miles. What? Try passing a message 62 miles down, like, hey, we're under attack. Meanwhile, in the very, very back, someone's like, man, I'm fucking cold. I just get hit in the chest by cannonball or something. (laughs) Snow began to come down in piles, according to some, as much as two feet per day. Horses froze to death, even uh, when the men who could make campfires, they would not be warm enough. When commanders went to muster their men for march, they found entire groups of men frozen to death, still standing still around a campfire. People wrapped themselves in whatever they could find, but it was rarely enough. Everything had iced over so thickly that when soldiers came to a hill, they had to sit down and just kind of slide down it. Whee! That's pretty. That, this is the highlight of my day. <laughs> Look, I may have had to eat my friend's face the other day, but this is kind of fun, right, Pierre? Please kill me. If <laughs> you get to them. Okay, I'm ready to die again. Yeah, they get to the top. They're like, they go down, happy. They get to the bottom. <sighs> <laughs> what isn't fun was being so cold that the, that the skin of your hands stuck to the musket and everything else that was metal, forcing people to rip their hand away to free themselves. Like a Christmas story. Yeah, except with a whole lot more <laughs> degloving. Are you familiar with the concept of degloving? When, like... The the skin of your finger pulls off and just stays the shape. Yeah. Yeah. That, that happened. That's cold. Yeah, I see what you did there. Yeah. Soldiers had to sleep in the open with no cover of any kind. When they came across a village that had probably been previously torched, leaving little shelter, men would fight each other to the death over the best ruins to camp in. Most of the rations they brought with them from Moscow were now gone. Foraging parties were now impossible because they'd just get killed by Cossacks. Some units took care of each other. This is actually something that became pretty important. The survival rate of the Grand Army pretty much depended on if your units stayed together. It had nothing to do with individual people, which mm. is interesting. Um, the more organized the unit was and stayed together under the command of their NCOs and, uh, and commanders, keeping men in line and staying to the colors, the better chance of survival you had. Oh, really? If your unit fell apart and uh, disintegrated, you were fucked. Uh, the reason why is these units took care of each other. They shared food, what little food they had. They shared warmth, and they stayed organized. Other units cut deals with Russian villagers to leave them alone in exchange for food. Like, hey, man, we won't burn your fucking shit down if you give us some, you know, let's eat your roof or something. I don't know. <laughs> uh, but those were the exception. Most would not be so well taken care of. 
Some soldiers had stolen a bunch of tea in Moscow and ended up surviving by eating raw tea leaves for weeks. Other man survived on bullion cubes that his wife had mailed him before everything had gone south. Simmons uh, hunted uh, cats or ate dead horses. Other men mixed axle grease together with snow and gunpowder, and it was dubbed Spartan gruel. And they ate that. Yeah. None of that is edible. No, I'm pretty sure those people died. Yeah. You can't eat axle grease. Though it's probably mostly like beef tallow or something, so it's probably just fatty grossness. But like, it's not like petroleum jelly like we think of, I would imagine. That's what I'm thinking of. Yeah, because I mean, like, they're not using petroleum. Yeah, yeah. You know, that's the hardest, that's the main reason why um, Napoleon's March to Moscow fatal is he used uh, lifted trucks and they had really bad miles per gallon. Yeah, and he didn't turn them on. Yeah, and he just kept them in neutral. (laughs) And they were really loud. Uh, people could, now, if uh, Napoleon invaded Priuses, never would seen him coming. Oh, yeah, you're a little beast. That's right. <laughs> can we put sidebar? You know uh, Texas Longhorns? Yeah. Like Boss Hog from yeah. Duke's Pass. You want me to put that on the front can of my Prius? put fucking horns on the front of your Prius? As long as I can put the minigun from the second uh, Red Red Dawn on the back of it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, uh, so that's one food that we will not be trying on the show is the Spartan gruel. <laughs> I don't want to die. God, no. I also do not plenty any cats. Soldiers deserted, surrendering to the Russians in the middle of the night by the thousands. Many of these men were pretty much killed outright. Despite the Tsar's uh, order demanding his soldiers treat prisoners humanely, it hardly ever happened. This included the Tsar's own brother, Duke Constantine, who seemed to enjoy killing prisoners personally rather than giving orders to do so. I fucking, liked Constantine. He's a movie. fucking psychopath. It's a good movie. Yeah, it just, it's Keanu Reeves just slaughtering Frenchmen. <laughs> yeah. Uh, the Cossacks would turn their prisoners over to the local populace who killed any Frenchman who fell under their hands in such a varying degree of ways, it almost seemed like kind of a competition. From burying them alive to burning them, they would also slowly cut them apart piece by piece, keeping them alive as long as possible, just so they'd really know how much they hated them. It's almost like they didn't like French people after they invaded and stole everything from their houses. Weird how that works. Yeah. But while things were bad for the French soldiers, they were also personally getting bad for Napoleon. When he reached a small town, he found a group of French officers waiting for him. They informed that someone had attempted a coup back in Paris and and attempted to depose him. The plan had failed, but the idea that his rule was somehow in doubt and could be questioned shook him pretty badly. Because, like, that wasn't something he ever had to be worried about before. Right. Furthermore, a stockpile of supplies that he had ordered to be maintained in the city uh, by his army had been burned when the Russian army stormed it and took it over. So, another empty city full of nothing. Wow. And that's when Napoleon finally met to Smolensk, which I'm assuming means he made a formal peace treaty with, uh, between the, the French and the roving hordes of stray dogs that had eaten all the dead bodies. <laughs> Even though Napoleon had ordered Smolensk to be reinforced and supplied with food, it hadn't happened. His plans of keeping the army there for the winter would be impossible, and they would just starve to death in a different location. The army was in such a disarray that huge parts of the, the camp followers were just the deserted soldiers and thrown away their weapons. So soldiers had to man the gates of Smolensk, only allowing formations of soldiers under arms and wearing colors to enter the city, as they considered the camp followers to be not part of the army anymore. Mm. This kind of doomed the deserters to starve to death out in the cold, because while there wasn't a lot of food in the city, there was at least shelter, which they didn't have out there. Right. So that led to uh, the the deserters attempting to storm the city, uh, and which led the soldiers who had not deserted to fight the soldiers over food that neither one of them was going to get. Oh, yeah. Why are we shooting them? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> 
This is also Napoleon's fault. As he was worried about telling people about his army's setbacks in Moscow, he had not told authorities in Smolensk he was heading in that direction. If he had, if he had the soldiers in the city already, he and warned them ahead of time. He could have had them to uh, start baking bread and dividing into rations, which was desperately needed. Some kind of organization to make sure the army didn't literally rip itself apart. Uh, as they had no idea, they had to just uh, come to the conclusion that well, we'll just have to hand you sacks of flour, and you'll have to make your own bread or do whatever. The problem was these soldiers hadn't had anything to eat in days, and they had no ability to cook anything anymore. All of their cooking supplies, their pots, their pans, whatever, had all been lost in the retreat, uh, in the wagons, left in Moscow, whatever. They had no way to, do, they had no way to cook the flour. Um, so they just ate raw flour, while others attempted to mix it into melted snow to make a gruel. Oh. I don't think eating raw flour is toxic, but I do not think it's good for you. I also, I've done like the raw protein powder, and that's awful. Yeah, it's like the fucking cracker challenge. Yeah. So I can't imagine raw flour. But now imagine doing that with all of the gusto of a man who hasn't eaten in a week of an axle grease and gunpowder. Mm. Remember the guy with... My friend's looking real good. <laughs> man, that motherfucker looks thick. <laughs> that, that, that's the time where someone's like, man, you're looking dummy thick. He starts fearing for your life. Yeah. <laughs> it cuts a bacon off my back. Uh, soldiers accused the Imperial Guard of taking the best food and more rations than they were allowed, which... To be fair, they probably did because they were Napoleon's favorites and largely allowed to get away with whatever they wanted. For sure. This led to soldiers in various units attempting to kill one another over sacks of flour that, again, they could not make anything out of. I want the white flat powder. (laughs) Now, Napoleon, for his first time, also saw that his army, for all intents and purposes, was done. I assume watching people knife fight to death over sacks of flour really burned that into his brain. It got old. There's only around 40,000 men left. Out of? 400,000. Uh. <laughs> Over 60,000 had died in the, la- in the three-week march from Moscow. It's not good odds. Yeah. Which is why, like I said that uh, in the beginning in Moscow, it would have worked if he would attack the Tortino, because he still had around 120,000 men. Not anymore. No. Elsewhere, his stepson, Prince Eugene, had attempted to cross a river, but the bridge had collapsed. While all this is happening, he, his forces attacked by Cossacks, forcing Eugene to leave behind his wagon train so his army can move fast enough to escape. Uh, as the men attempted to save their looted belongings, they'd brought with him all the way back from Moscow. They were cut down by Cossacks, who then captured everything. Yep. This is awful. Eugene lost 2,000 men, all of his ammunition, and rations. Oh, fuck. <laughs> when Napoleon heard this, he finally snapped. He began screaming at everybody and throwing things across the room. Uh, he physically assaulted several marshals and blamed them for everything, to include even the invasion itself. What? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this guy. He was only in Smolensk for a few days and had to set back out. Those col- his columns march was badly slowed down by deep snow that made going slow and mostly impossible as soldiers attempting to dig their way through it. Also, remember, the echelons. The first group would struggle through it which would lead to them packing down the snow, which to me sounds like a good thing because I didn't grow up in Russian snow. I grew up in Michigan snow. And when you like were three people back on the snowboard line going up the hill, it was pretty great because they had tamped down everything and make like foot grooves and you could climb up after them. Well, they would pack it all down so deep because, you know, it's tens of thousands of men. And by the time the last column went through, it was virtually a sheet of ice. Oh. And they would just like slip and fall and die. 
<laughs> just from falling. Well, I mean, they were so weak at this point. Like, yeah. it's like a 90 year old person taking a fall. They're going to break something, fucking like, rupture a curb. goddamn organ or yeah. whatever. Um, but they, yeah, they're attempting to do like break trail effectively. Oh, while they were still being harassed by Cossacks. But now the Russian soldiers had also uh, showed up. They had mounted artillery and skis and were towing it around, <laughs> literally running in circles around the French, shelling them with little fear of return oh, fire. fuck. Prince Eugene, the guy who seemed to have the worst look of anybody, marched his unit direct of, of barely 4,000 Italians directly into a Russian roadblock outside of the town of Krasny. In front of him was 20,000 men and Kutuzov with the rest of the Russian army only a short ways away. The Russians send officer under a white flag to ask for surrender, which I'm assuming the argument was, come on, yeah. look at you. <laughs> look at you. It's like that scene from, uh, 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 what was it, a band of brothers. Like, you have horses. Come, what are you doing? Yeah. What are we doing here? It's like, you have 4,000 men. What are we doing here? Eugene buttoned up his jacket and said, I'm a prince of the, uh, the French Empire. Princes do not surrender. Mm. And, and ordered his soldiers to attack. Poor choices. Well, that's the thing. At first, the Russians didn't shoot. Not really sure. Like, yeah, are, are, they're like, are they, they really, serious? Are you really <laughs> doing this? This is happening? Uh, instead, they yelled out again for the Italians to surrender. The Italians answered back with gunfire. <laughs> Just a bunch of dry pasta. <laughs> Their marinara points are low. <laughs> Uh, they they fought until nightfall, but did not budge an inch, despite being outnumbered again twenty thousand to four thousand. Italians are fucking hard headed, you know. Which is interesting. I'm assuming that the Italian army actually f- burned up all of their fight, uh, in the Napoleonic Wars. Because when World War One and World War Two rolled around, yikes, man, <laughs> they got nothing Had left to. <laughs> they're they're like, like we're fucking tapped out here, dude. <laughs> Like, they're just psychically exhausted somehow yeah. from what their grandpa did a hundred years before. Like, oh, God, I just can't do this anymore. Uh, yeah, but Eugene knew the next day, like, okay, obviously, we lucked out. We didn't break. Uh, but the next day, we're like, we're, we're fucked. We can't do this again. That was until a, a Polish colonel in his army came forward with an idea. And it was an idea that was so stupid that it only works in uh, a cartoon but also history, because we'll history dig under them. History is—it's almost that dumb, almost. They would abandon everything that they didn't need, fall into a single file line, and then just walk around the Russian army. Like it's get, that simple, guys. I got an idea. Hear me out. It's gonna sound crazy. We go around them. I know, right? Fucking nuts. We just walk around twenty thousand goddamn <laughs> Russians. Uh, and you know what? To his credit, Prince Eugene's like, "Fuck it, fine, whatever. It's not I any." Mean, it's not any dumber. What else was he gonna do? Yeah, it's not any dumber than sitting here exchanging volleys with twenty thousand soldiers. I'm telling you, what else was on the board was like they go under them through the snow. It's probably pretty much it. Yeah, or uh, attempt to uh, uh, construct s- a biplane, <laughs> summon Exodia, the Forbidden One. <laughs> I don't fucking know. <laughs> um, and, and they they began this plan. They they made it a certain distance, and they were stopped by Russian sentries. At which point, the colonel who spoke fluent Russian simply told them they're in a secret mission from Katuzov and were, or- and were allowed to walk right on by. <laughs> no, it's, it's cool. We understand we're coming from the direction of the guys you were fighting yesterday, but Katuzov said we're cool. I imagine those ones like, aren't you the Italians that are supposed <laughs> to be over there? No. No. Bro. You awfully look like Italian. Uh, I don't like spaghetti. He's hiding his hands. <laughs> like, <laughs> it's like, challenge and password. 
Spaghetti sucks. What that motherfucker say? <laughs> and then the one Polish girl's like, shut the fuck up. Be cool. Hey, hey, gabagool, gabagool. It's 4,000 people arguing over fucking pasta. But they managed to keep their shit together and just walked right on by. These guys off, smell awfully a lot like marinara sauce. I am going to assume the sentry was immediately executed. <laughs> Had to have been. Dude, that's fucking awesome. <laughs> How bad are you at your job right now? You have one fucking job. He was that guy where he was like, fuck, he's bothering me. All right, yeah, you're on a special mission. Do this. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's it's like that one guy who's who was supposed to be relieved 45 minutes ago. And a, a group of people are very obviously Italian and led by what is definitely the prince of fucking Italy walks up. And is just like, yeah, fuck it. Fine. Whatever. My relief will be here any minute. I don't care. Let's <laughs> go back to bed. Uh, even though uh, uh, Eugene and Napoleon met up uh, and moved out from Krasny, they found the hills. Can you imagine the story he just told Napoleon? <laughs> Bro, there I was. No shit. Hear me out. Uh, they found the hills and the roads lined with Russian cannons who constantly fired down on them. Now, the Russians stayed out of musket range, so infantry was dispatched to attack uphill through waist-high snow. It went about as well as you can imagine. They were massacred oh, dude. pretty much immediately. At, even at this stage, members of the guard began to break down. When a member of the guard said he just could not go on fighting anymore when a general ordered him to advance, the general simply walked over and shot him in the face in front of everybody. The rest of the guard then immediately began frantically cheering Napoleon's name and joy, assuming so they probably wouldn't be next. <laughs> like, uh, long live the emperor! <laughs> Napoleon made it to the next town and then began to get worried because he had not seen Marshal Ney since they had left Smolensk. Like, hey, anybody see that whole, you know, Marshal that we should be worried about? Like, yeah, wow, it's weird that you spaced on that, sir. <laughs> Ney's column had been the last to leave the city and had been cut off by the exact same roadblock that Eugene had snuck around, leaving him to fend for himself. Ney was furious, saying of Napoleon, quote, That bitch has abandoned us. <laughs> he sacrificed us in order to save himself. What, what the fuck am I supposed to do? What will become of us? Everything is fucked. <laughs> I love Marshall Ney so much. That's awesome. <laughs> that bitch left us. <laughs> I, I promise I'm not adding swear words oh to any God. of this. When the Russians once again demand the surrender of Ney, we lost a bunch of Italians here. Don't know how. <laughs> Those goddamn greasy Italians. <laughs> but you're here. <laughs> oh, look, another one. Uh, after several failed breakout attempts, Ney answered that he wished he could surrender, but a marshal of France has never surrendered, nor will they ever. What an idiot. He just didn't walk around him. <laughs> <laughs> Ney's column managed to escape in the middle of the night through the woods because the Russians really fucking suck at this. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> that one guy is like, I have twenty thousand. How the fuck? Like, yeah, he's. It's, it's the same century. Like, look, man, I'm gonna give you one more chance. <laughs> yeah, it definitely is. <laughs> I'm gonna post you to this. Nobody ever goes that way. Just don't fall asleep. You'll make E4 on time. <laughs> he just fucking passes out. And Nay and ten thousand Frenchmen walk by, loud as shit too. <laughs> yeah, because they're crunching through the snow, blind with like horses and shit. Uh, but as they were crossing a frozen river, it broke through. Uh, this forced half of his force to forced his unit to be split in half. One half pretty much being abandoned to the Russians, and Ney being on the other half. Well, I'm on the good half. Uh, and also, there is a huge number that fell into the icy river and died uh, because it's winter in Russia and right. they fell in water. Though Ney and what remained of his force finally found Napoleon in the city of Orsha. Now, their greatest enemy wasn't the Russians. It was now the cold. 
It froze their already limited water supply, meaning that soldiers had to make fire in order to be able to have water. Right. They, they only could make fire when they were stopped. Problem. It froze their boots solid, causing them to snap when they walked. Men got frostbite that rapidly turned to gangrene and killed them. Others had hands and fingers frozen solid and broken off. Yeah. Uh, That's not a cold I, w- I would hate to experience that type of cold. When the few living horses that were left dropped dead, and people before that was like, oh, fuck yeah, we can have horse feet. They froze solid within minutes. Oh, fuck. So they couldn't even eat them. This led uh, desperate groups of men to sneak up on officers on horseback and cut slices of horse meat from still <laughs> living horses because it was so cold that the horse hardly felt it. Well, let me just get a little slice of that ass. <laughs> they, slice. The horse. Hey, could you fucking not? I'm, try, I'm trying to horse. I'm fucking horsing here. The officer's like, hmm, I don't remember being covered in blood. <laughs> yeah. It was so cold that the blood would freeze, effectively forming a scab, and the horse would mysteriously drop dead from an infection a couple days later. I wonder if, like, if they ever fell asleep, stopped made camp. The horse is just chilling, and the officer comes back the next morning, and it's half a horse, and he still tries to get on it, like, onward, Skittles. <laughs> onward. It's just the horse's ass. Against <laughs> yeah. I don't know about that, but there was a couple occasions where someone was, like, walking their horse through camp by the reins. And then, like, the reins went slack, and then soldiers were, like, pushing their horse off into a tent to eat it. (laughs) (laughs) They literally zerg-rushed fucking officers' horses and shit. Uh, But one that that they did not do was eat uh, the regimental mascots, which are normally dogs. Uh, They, like, kept those with them the whole time. You can't eat that. And what was weird was the regimental mascot had handlers, and those those almost had a 100% survival rate. Oh, dude. You got to. Because uh, the, the theory is it gave them something to work towards and, like, rally around. Like, no matter what, they didn't focus on how awful everything was. Like, it's got to take care of this dog. <laughs> yeah, weird story, but yeah. That's an awesome one. Yeah. It's like the one. Uh, I would love to be the handler. Yeah. Well, all this is going on, the Russian forces were continually moving in to finally trap the French army for good. So Napoleon planned an escape across the Brigina River and make his way into Poland. Now, this is something of a small problem. Napoleon had kind of assumed that the river would be frozen, but it wasn't, making his plan both dumb and impossible. This plan quickly changed to moving downriver to a more suitable place to build a pontoon bridge. But Napoleon had previously ordered all those supplies to be torched to make marching easier, because it's winter, why the fuck and we need to build a bridge? Thankfully for Napoleon, one of his generals uh, from uh, Holland simply disobeyed that order. So he still had shit nice. to build a bridge. Yeah. In a, in a shit to build but he still got bridges. pissed at him for yeah. not listening to that order. How dare you not listen to my orders? Like, oh, God, shut the fuck up. Now, uh, there was a diversionary move. So they were being uh, chased by the Russians. Everybody knew it. So the so Napoleon fainted to the south. To, he juked him? <laughs> yeah, he stutter-stepped the Russian army and uh, uh, to draw them south to give them enough time to build this bridge. Uh, bridges, there's two of them. So a group of Dutch engineers worked their asses off to construct these bridges, which required them, which required them to climb into the icy river to build braces for it. While they were doing this, the Russians began to attack them from behind. And also the river joined in on the fight, as huge blocks of ice carried by current slammed into them, carrying them downriver and killing them. Oh, fuck. Yeah. It's like a Mario level. It is. Yeah. Frogger, too. <laughs> Cross the river. <laughs> Uh, most of the engineers died in the construction of the bridge within 30 minutes because of it's fucking goddamn winter and you're in the water. Yeah. Though they'd re- uh, almost immediately be replaced by other volunteers who immediately jumped in after them to continue the oh, work. Are we sure they're volunteers? Oh, yeah. Yeah. They, 
they only took volunteers for this mission. I want to die. You're next. <laughs> Not all of them died, just the vast majority. And then because that wasn't enough, they built a second bridge, which went as well as the first. Now, as the French began to cross these bridges, they came under attack from the other side as well, as the Russians on that side realized that they had been juked out. The hardest fighting happened in the rear guard, as a few few Swiss regiments held back two Russian armies, chasing them back with seven different bayonet charges as they ran out of ammunition and their barrels were followed and uh, froze solid. Whoops. Uh, It turns out, uh, and now there's a main reason, like we talked about before, we kind of made fun of them, how, wow. Nobody made any plans for ru- for winter clothing for the military. It's because militaries didn't operate in the winter most right. of the time. It was not campaigning season. So most of their weapons didn't work great in the winter either. Uh, some of them didn't work at all. So that's why a lot of this turns into a whole lot of stabbing and beating people to death. Um, so instead of breaking or surrendering against these odds, the Swiss instead sing uh, patriotic songs while they stab thousands of Russian soldiers to death. You're just all jolly dude just, <laughs> just going to work. <laughs> Gonna go back to the corpse fields, bring a harvest in. At the end, at the end of the fighting, the Swiss were pretty badly beaten. Uh, they lost over a thousand men, but they did not break. The rear guard held and pretty much saved the entire French military. Now, on the other t- side of the bank, the fighting was just as bad. A collection of different German regiments held the bridgehead against constant Russian attacks. While the two sides were fighting, the Russians pumped unending shell fire into the mass of camp followers who were also attempting to cross the bridge, killing literally tens of thousands of them. Uh, Cossacks raided camp followers, slaughtering men, women, and children. The traffic across the bridges turned into a human crush as people attempted to escape all of this. Uh, People like were literally compressed against each other so hard they suffocated to death while standing up. And then the shells would hit the bridge and explode it, sending them all into the river to die, meaning the Dutch had to go back to work repairing it. That happened multiple times. As, and so many people ha- were killed attempting to cross the bridges that a detail had to be assigned to run across the bridge and kick all the corpses out of the way so the wagons could keep moving. <laughs> all of this sucks for the French. It's all bad. Every single thing. I don't know how true this is, but the book notes that um, for a long time afterwards, Brigino was uh, kind of considered like uh, uh, a synonym for disaster in French. So like, whoops. Nice. But it worked. Uh, it went on for four days and the French finally fought their way across the river and escaped. So and they, I mean, they, of course, they burned the bridges behind them because that's what you do. Uh, and the French lost around 25,000 people uh, in total, mostly camp followers. The camp followers got fucking mauled, uh, but soldiers as well. Uh, it was pretty terrible, but they did escape. Yay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like kind of like Borodino. You met the army in the open finally, and you drove them from the field. But like, now look at us. <laughs> it's like we escaped. All six of us, <laughs> or whatever. Yeah, you know? their numbers aren't looking too good. They're not good. But escape did not mean anything good was going to happen to these men. The temperature continued to drop to 20 below, and all the rations were gone. Oh, fuck. The army pretty much ceased to be, as men dropped dead from cold, starvation, or finally succumbed from wounds they had received. I hate when it hits 30. Yeah, it's going to get colder. 20 below is what? I think the coldest I've ever been in was <laughs> 5 or 10 below, and it hurt to be outside and this is like in michigan in like the early 2000s uh, and it was with wind chills so like it probably wasn't that cold it's only cold if you're outside and it's dumb enough to be standing in the wind but it the wind hurt and that was with like modern winter clothing not like covered in fucking hay and newspaper scraps and shit 
Now, uh, people, like I said, begin to lay down and simply accept their fate that they were going to die. One of those was a general. One last sleep. Yeah, it's like he's the, people were just like, I cannot do this anymore. I'm fuck this. I'm laying down to die. Like people literally made a decision to sit down and just let themselves die. Um, one man witnessed a soldier pulling the boots off of a general who'd cr- collapsed by the side of the road. The general, who was still alive, said, "Quote: Just let me die in peace." To which the soldier responded, "My general, I'd be happy to, but another will take your boots. I'd prefer it to be me." <laughs> <laughs> Run your shit, motherfucker! General's just. Touche. <laughs> Go ahead. And like another time, something like came across the wagon where there's like a, a general who or uh, a colonel or something that's wounded on it. And uh, the guy was uh, like, it's like, hey, just could you could you end it? Like, I don't want to go through this. Could you just shoot me? And a soldier uh, thought about it for a second, but th- remembered that to fire his weapon, he'd have to take the gloves off of his hand. And he didn't want to do that. So he just walked away. <laughs> I didn't hear that. <laughs> Good luck, bitch. <laughs> Soldiers from the same unit killed each other over coats, boots, and food. An officer noted that, quote, they were knife fighting over the tiniest scraps of food with men screaming at each other with all the languages of oh, Europe. Just in a circle. <laughs> with, like, the fucking cable guy music playing. And, like... And these are this is the, all of the Grand Army has been whittled down to a really small group. So there's a good chance that none of these fucking guys can even talk to one another. No, dude. Um, and this is when the can- this is when the cannibalism started. Yeah. Uh, now before it was rare and happened in isolated cases, mostly with the Russian prisoners. Now it was widespread. It was uh, someone said that it was pretty rare to see a dead body without strips of flesh m- flesh missing off of its thighs or buttocks. <laughs> Or to hear advice on what best part to take. Let me eat that ass! <laughs> uh, now, the crazed men uh, began to lose their shit and eat themselves. Oh. Yeah. Which I'm assuming was just a bad idea. Uh, other people, like... Now, it's noted that none of the first-hand accounts from survivors were like, yeah, I ate some people. Like, nobody fucking talks about it. Everyone's like, no, that was Sergeant fucking Williams. You didn't make it. That's a shame. You are Sergeant Williams. <laughs> Fuck. Damn it. Uh, yeah, but like a lot of people ate some people. Uh, Napoleon decided that his army would have to make its way to Vilna, which, if you remember, was the first city they took. Now, even though he thought that his army could not make another stand, uh, calling them uh, an undisciplined mob and worried about how much damage it would cause the city if it had got there uh, and, and, and they just eat everything. Like, he warned... Um, uh, the the commissariat in charge of Vilna, like if you don't have a hundred thousand bread rations ready, I pity that city. <laughs> oh fuck! Yeah, things had also began to get worse for Napoleon. He is no longer getting mail and is largely unable to keep ruling as he had been. If you remember, it was the secure mailing system which he was running the entire French Empire through. Rumors were floating around Europe that, uh, about his defeat, as the Tsar in Saint Petersburg made sure to announce that Napoleon had been defeated. And he's like, look at all these dead bodies. (laughs) Uh, He finally decided he had no choice but to rush back to Paris. But he also had no idea who to leave in charge of the last 10,000 men of the the Grand Army. 10,000? That's it. Oh, God. He wanted to promote Eugene, as he had probably done the best so far, but he thought if he did, Murat would pretty much mutiny 100%. Like... Uh, like the, the, there's no way that Murat would allow his stepson to be put in charge of him. So he had no choice but to give the command of the army to Murat, which ended up being a fucking terrible idea. 
And if you remember, we've talked about Mura so far. He was not promoted for his brains or his organizational skills. It was only for his willingness to charge suicidally yeah. on horseback. Now, Eugene was pretty upset about this, pointing out everything that I did. Uh, but he eventually uh, said, fuck it, fine, whatever. And at that point, Napoleon jumped in his carriage and set off. And he picked a good time to do it. By December 6th, the temperature dropped to 35 below zero. Men reported seeing ice floating in the air as it was blown by the wind so hard it cut their exposed faces. What the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> Men went blind from uh, the white of the snow and their eyes froze shut. Have you heard of snow blindness? Yes, I have. Yeah, yeah. They got that real bad. A sergeant reported showing up to uh, watch duty to find the guy that he was relieving frozen to death but propped up by his musket. <laughs> At least I got company. Just shoves him over. <laughs> yeah. Groups of soldiers broke off, got lost, and were drunk with hypothermia. When the Russian army found them, they simply left them alone, allowed them to march around in circles until they eventually died. The Russians uh, did note that when they found people eating other people, they did shoot them. Like, oh, got to put that one down. <laughs> yeah. He's feral. He's got a taste for uh, human blood. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, the army made their way towards Vilna, which was planned to be their bastion. It turns out that unlike the last several cities, Vilna really could support them. Enough rations for 100,000 men had been stockpiled as well as tens of thousands of reinforcements. The problem was, those reinforcements were mostly all fresh recruits uh, levied on uh, Napoleon's orders or marched forward. As we talked about raw troops before, yeah. this isn't going to go well. Now, this was just on the march there, which where it was hot, they were short of supplies. They're now marching into 35 below weather without winter clothing. These raw troops were from Western Europe and marched out to meet the Grand Army and immediately began freezing to death. In one case, a division was redu- reduced from 10,000 to 2,000 in a single night. What? So imagine the confusion of the Grand Army as they marched towards Vilna and the road in front of them was covered with thousands of men in brand new uniforms, frozen upright in ranks or leaning against cannons. That's awful. That, that is a fucking horror film. Like, oh, I think I see a division in front of... Oh, God. <laughs> oh, no! Like, one of them noted that, like, uh, the Italians knew that one of their uni- one of those units was from Italy because they were wearing, like, this certain bright uniform, but they were all frozen to death sitting around a campfire. The campfire's still going. <laughs> the campfire's also <laughs> it's frozen. frozen. <laughs> it's just fire inside. <laughs> By December 7th, parts of the army finally arrived in the city, the first unburnt, unlooted city they had seen in six months. Huh. So this is what buildings look like. <laughs> the civilians of Vilna were fucking horrified by what they saw. Streaming into the city was what looked like an army of zombies shuffling through the streets. Now think, they haven't, they're wearing scraps of cloth for uniforms. They're frostbitten down to their bones. They're all diseased and shitting on themselves. Their teeth are falling out. They quite literally looked like something out of a George Romero film. Yeah. Just like, into the city. Bonjour! <laughs> yeah. So people t- were scared and began to close up shops and inns, barred their doors and windows, and waited for the parade of horrors to leave. Well, they could have fought them off easily. Just push them over. Yeah. They'll probably <laughs> die. die. Thank you. Please just end it. Hit me with that stick. Though the governor of the city had set up barracks, uh, barracks in a nearby monastery uh, that did save the city from a, like an orgy of violence like that of Moscow. Uh, and Murat ran into orders that had been waiting for him to hold the city. Uh, he was supposed to defend Vilna from the Russians. At which point he responded, no, I refuse to be taken prisoner in this piss pot of a place. 
and he did not tell the army about his orders to defend the city. He crippled them up and threw them away. Didn't see them. La la la. Not li- have, have you ever just plugged your ears? I'm not listening to, yeah. the, to your emperor. He tries to start a fire, and as the fire gets lit, he tries to throw the letter, and the fire just goes down. <laughs> Fuck! But it didn't really matter. The army just didn't care anymore. With Napoleon gone, many officers no longer felt the uh, like honor-bound to remain there and just went home, abandoning their units. Uh, now, these were mostly the foreign officers, like the not, not French officers. I'm closer. <laughs> yeah, fuck you. I'm going to Prussia, bitch. Uh, soldiers disregarded orders because fuck it, why not? And Mira made little effort to try to reorganize or discipline the army. Oh, no, don't. <laughs> All right, tried. By December 9th, the rest of the army, the vast majority of it, made it into the city. Uh, and thousands of people attempted to pass through the gates of the city at a single time. This again caused a human traffic jam, causing people to be trampled and suffocated to death at the city gates. <laughs> We're supposed to be safe here. <laughs> After pushing through that murder-stomping their buddies, they descended upon the city. Unlike the first wave, these guys uh, didn't have great manners. They broke into homes, stores, and shops, and the people of Vilna tried their best to just get out of the way. The last thing any of them wanted to do was soldier. Um... A roll call was called the next morning, which nobody showed up to. <laughs> Just imagine being the officer that called it. Mirai attempted to call an, uh, a meeting with his generals, and they didn't show up. <laughs> so I guess I'll just go fuck myself, yeah. huh? When the Cossacks raided the outskirts of the town's defenses, a call to arms was issued, and only 500 men showed up. Oh. Everybody else was like, yeah, I don't care. <laughs> it was clear to Mirai that he would not be able to hold the city. Or even command the army, for that matter. So he just ordered a retreat in a blanket statement rather than passing down orders. This had a bit of a problem. Most men did not listen, while others didn't and couldn't. Others never got any orders at all. Uh, When Murat came across a group of German reinforcements heading towards Vilna, having no idea that he had ordered the retreat, they were shocked to find the site of the marshal and asked him for orders. Uh, Murat said, quote, Major, we're fucked. Get on your horse and run. All right, cool. As Murat and the last few organized units with commanders in place exited the city, the Cossacks swarmed in. The civilians of uh, Vilna worried that they might be judged uh, to be French collaborators by letting the people take their food and stuff. Joined the Cossacks in murdering the French and stayed behind. (laughs) Jesus Christ. (laughs) Most of the units had escaped uh, under colors and in organized structure were no larger than about 50 people apiece. That blows. So, slightly larger than a modern-day platoon. Yeah. As the Cossacks advanced towards them out of Vilna, Murat realized he'd have to put up a fight. Marshal Laferve cried out, scared that uh, after all this, he would never see home again. To which a sergeant turned to him and said, Shut the fuck up, you old fool. If we die, we die. <laughs> <laughs> Most units could hardly follow orders, but Marshal Ney almost single-handedly rallied the rear guard and saved what remained of the army. During this last stage of the retreat, soldierly behavior and solidarity began to return to the survivors. Despite stealing, murdering, and leaving each other to die for the last few months, now that they saw that safety was kind of sort of within grasp, uh, people began to act like it again. Uh, like, they began to like, oh, yeah, we're totally friends now. Like, the, their true colors got shown when they yeah. were all struggling. When men fell down, their help to their feet. People began to share food and water if they had it. Though not always. A general and his aide came across two young Dutch conscripts, run a fire, 
in a hut in the middle of the night. They beat them senseless and tossed them out. The general heard them crying on the outside of the hut throughout the night and found them frozen to death in the morning. Oh, fuck. Yeah. Fuck that guy. Muran, the lead of the army, made his way to Kovno, but they had no intention of staying there either, knowing that the Russians were at their heels and fighting at this stage would be fucking suicide. The organized soldiers quickly exited the city, while the stragglers, who had managed to survive uh, the Cossack raids, poured into the city and looted everything they could, because they're still giant pieces of shit. <laughs> they found huge stockpiles of booze and got hammered, leading to rolling fistfights between French and German units. Nice. The problem was, like, after all the stress and not eating and you know, being horrible, shambling di- bags of disease, um, getting blitz was a really bad idea and killed a lot of them outright. Everything is killing everything. <laughs> yeah. While Murat immediately left the city, Ney stayed behind to keep the road open uh, so as many stragglers as possibly could could make their way into the city and into safety. But this had the downside of him eventually finding himself being surrounded by Cossacks. He tried to hold off as long as he could, but found his soldiers who had been with him through so much had finally broken, slowly melting away into the retreat rather than staying and fight with him anymore. But that didn't stop Ney. Ney, with only a few French dozen, uh, a few dozen French infantry, set off on a fighting withdrawal. Rather than commanding from a high horse and yelling at his men to keep up the fighting, he took up a musket, stood in ranks with them, and fired shoulder to shoulder with the few men that he had left keeping the Cossacks at bay. By the time Ney had escaped, he was virtually all that was left of the entire Grand Army's rear guard. Holy shit. About 40 dudes. (laughs) God. Yep. Back with Napoleon, he had made his long way back to Poland. And he was cheerfully telling Kalinkor that he had no doubt that Murat was, Mura was holding Vilna. <laughs> it's going great. <laughs> Everything's fine. This is fine. Uh, something his marshal uh, hadn't even attempted to do. Once there, he continued to blame everybody for his problems, including the Grand Duchy of Warsaw, saying that he had not seen a single Polish soldier during the entire campaign. Now, this is ridiculous for a lot of reasons mostly because the Poles had been some of his best soldiers, and while he escaped, he ch- exchanged his uh, uh, traditional bicorn hat for the hat of a Polish lancer because it was furry and covered his ears. Nice. Yeah, he's a piece of shit. Uh, Polish ministers showed up for a meeting, and, de- and uh, Napoleon demanded they raise more men uh, and said that he had 120,000 men in Vilna, despite the fact that the vaunted Grand Army was probably closer to like 5,000 mostly starved frostbitten dudes and not in Vilna at all. He also kind of admitted that he lost, claiming that he beat the Russians every time. In another six months, he'd be on the march again, saying, quote, he who hazards nothing gains nothing. Uh, yep. Nice. He still didn't see this as a defeat. This it, guy. It was a setback. And he was also doing his best. A whole army setback. Yeah, more than one army. A whole international clusterfuck. Like... He he was so bad at the at being an international military leader uh, during an invasion that like ISAF is jealous, <laughs> like and he he knew that he had seriously fucked up and he knew the true cost like he knew that there wasn't that many people left but he did not want everybody else knowing that he then drank some wine and decided to go over to his uh, his side piece's house which was nearby swear to God he's just like oh, time to go it's pussy <laughs> like. The dude had not even bathed yet. He's like, mm. time to go get laid. Uh, and I don't had, smell myself. He had to be talked out of by Kalincor at the last second because look at everything that's happening right now. It is important to point out that uh, Napoleon and pretty much all of his marshals and generals did not think they were defeated by the Russians. Kind of like what uh, Napoleon said. It was like, 
I defeated the Russians in every battle we had, which is true. They never like retreated. They won everything. Um, but they lost. Look at them. Like there's war is, I mean, I hate to talk like I'm pointing at a fucking PowerPoint show right now. And you're at a meeting that you don't want to be in, but war is like a 360 degree thing. There's more to it than winning a battle. And Napoleon should know that because he was fighting in the 1800s where disease and supply killed more people than fighting did, which it did here too. Yeah. Um, but him arguing like, well, I, I beat the Russians is exactly like every idiot ass American who claims that America didn't lose the Vietnam war. Yeah. Like we didn't lose. We left. Okay. Please point to Saigon on the map. (laughs) We didn't lose Moscow. Okay. Then please point to me. uh, Napoleon's 50 year reign as emperor doesn't exist. I mean, the French blamed everything on the retreat on everything, but the Russians, which I mean, if it wasn't for the Cossacks and the Russians hearing them on the way back, their retreat would have been much better, but like they would have been fucked either way. As such, Napoleon doesn't think what happened in Russia was anything other than a minor setback. Just to show how totally detached from reality he was by this point, uh, he held great importance to the fact that the United States of America was not fighting the British in the War of 1812. Now, we did cover this before, won't go into it too far, but it, again, has to do with the continental system. But he not only thought that America would win, but that they would then join him in his international war against the British. (laughs) Oh, boy. (laughs) Could not, like, that is somehow the dumbest thing he fought. Uh, uh, that a whole bunch of militiamen like, yeah, let's invade Spain! <laughs> like, <laughs> Just a no. bunch of drunk guys. When he finally reached his palace in France in the Tuileries, uh, the guards had hardly recognized him and had to be talking to the fact that, yes, this is in fact the emperor because he was so unrecognizable from losing so much weight. Yeah. Uh, once there, he wrote a letter to Murat addressed in Vilma, <laughs> a city that was so securely in Russian hands that Katuzov was holding parades in the middle of the town and the Tsar was there. Holy shit. <laughs> uh, How's the defense going? Marshal Katuzov, we have a letter for you from Napoleon. What? Instead of being in Vilna, Murat had set up camp in Konigsberg in Prussia, which everybody thought would be pretty safe. But instead of being safe, an epide- epidemic of typhus swept through the ranks because his army was literally fucking cursed by God at this point. There's also another bit of a problem. Instead of reorganizing the army, which Mural is probably never really going to be able to do, he ran smack dab into popular resentment. See, the Prussians kind of knew that things were going south because look at these guys. Exactly. And uh, they knew it was now their time to rise up against the French. Wow. Uh, Prussians began hurling rocks and singing patriotic songs at French troops. People refused to sell them food or board them. If if you uh, fell out or found alone, you'd be jumped and probably beaten to death on the streets, which at this point was probably pretty easy. Like Oh, for sure. Like, like a, a punch. A couple of eight-year-olds just mob a guy. Yeah. Prussian soldiers under their French flag defected to Russia where they were allowed free movement. Other Prussian units refused to move and marched away from uh, Murad to support him. Murat was once again forced to retreat again. It's just snowballing. All of this is terrible. He's like, at this point, like, can someone just fucking shoot me? By the time the survivors of the Grand Army finally made it to their assembly points with this whole thing had begun, months before, around 400,000 men of the army had died, less than a quarter of which fell in battle, mostly at Borodino. This is felt by some units much harder than others. For instance, you know those engineers that built the bridges that saved everything? Yeah. Six of them returned to Holland alive. Oh, shit. Tens of thousands never returned because the Cossacks sold them into slavery, while others still stayed behind to set up new lives for themselves. 
Many stayed after 1814 because they refused to return to, Fra to a France not ruled by Napoleon. As for Napoleon, the invasion of Russia had doomed his empire. The Polish War, as they called it, would end, and the War of the Sixth Coalition would begin in March of 1813. As his former allies of Austria, Prussia, and Sweden, yes, Sweden, ruled by his old buddy, uh, joined with Russia and the UK to finally kick the emperor while he was down. <laughs> he was finally decisively defeated at the Battle of the Nations, also known as the Battle of Leipzig, the largest battle Europe would see until World War I. Eventually, Tsar Alexander would lead the Allied armies into Paris itself. Napoleon, though, refused to quit, demanding that they launch an offensive to retake his capital until he was confronted by Marshal Ney, who refused. Oh. Ney's back. Napoleon said the, the army would listen, listen to the emperor, and Ney said the army would listen to its marshals, and Ney was correct. So, Napoleon abdicated. His imperial and royal majesty, Napoleon I, by the grace of God and the constitutions of the empire, emperor of the French, king of Italy, mediator of the Swiss Confederation and protect, protector of the Confederation of the Rhine and co-prince of Andorra, abdicated the throne on April 11th, 1814. Napoleon was exiled to the small island of Elba and the Bourbon monarchy of Louis XVIII returned to the throne, ending the French empire, at least for now. And that is our conclusion. This whole episode, the best part was Eugene. <laughs> Eugene and his Italians? Yeah. Best part. Everything else, horrifying. Yeah, there's uh, there's, uh, there's not a lot of optimism in the French version of the Donner Party. Um, so, thank you everybody for tuning in to this wonderful six-part series. Nick, thank you for joining me, both in person and in quarantine. Yes. And before we go, and as, as this is the end of a series, you know what time it is. Questions from the Legion. Now, uh, if you would like to ask a question of the Legion, you can donate at least a dollar on our Patreon and get on the Discord, which is generally where we do this stuff. Now, I have um, a pretty interesting question. What do you think is the major failings of history as a discipline, and how would you go about fixing them? Um, well... I majored in history, and I can tell you that I think one of the major failings of history is pretty obvious, and that is like victors write history. And, For sure. And those victors get their version of history put in textbooks. Yeah, have, you, have you seen my textbooks? <laughs> uh, you should see some of Texas's textbooks, which actually most people, because of the way the textbook system works, get Texas's textbooks. Which is bad uh, because they one time called slavery uh, or slaves uh, um, migrant workers. That is true, uh, but I think a lot of that uh, nationalistic tendency to politicize history. I mean, history is political, war is political. That's why um, our series end up going so long and talking about all the backgrounds of the shit because it's important. But like trying to point out that say that the Civil War is about slavery immediately starts some fires. Oh, for sure. Um, trying to point trying to talk about the realities of world war two and like the, the, the reality behind um, Nazi politics. People get really pissy when you try to tell them that they weren't socialists or communists. Um, it, America's early history is incredibly dark. People really don't like talking about that. When you use the genocide word on, on our treatment of the native Americans, um, stuff like that. I think a lot of that is based in nationalism. It's, it's the same reason why like in Japan, they don't teach about comfort women or the rape of Nan King. Mm -hmm. Um, and America's as guilty as anybody else. I, I'm not, I honestly, I think uh, the most 
I don't know from what I understand, I could be wrong. Uh, if there's any Germans listening, you could please tell me. Uh, the nation that's done its best to confront its like national ghosts is Germany because like they have to learn about the Holocaust. They have to learn about the Third Reich and everything that they did. Um, I think if, if America had some kind of reckoning like that, which of course Germany has to do that because they fucking lost. Uh, but if America had some reckoning like that, where we had to learn about the true causes and like the true costs and a whole bunch of other stuff of, of, of the dark periods of our history, I think uh, the, the discipline of history in itself would have a lot more well-rounded people. Cause like you go into like a history classroom and you read a, te- you read a, a textbook, even college textbooks are pretty bad. Um, unless you have a good professor, which can be rare. From my experience, like my professors ran the gamut from like a nationalist uh, to like a straight up Marxist. Um, and there's like almost no in really? between. Yeah, it's almost no in between, especially in like European histories. Like you end up someone who's like a straight up mostly leftist or uh, definitely anti-imperialist or someone who's like, well, the British Empire did spread technology everywhere, so that's good, right? Like, there's there's no in between. It's really wild. And I think a lot of that is because people just can't process things without that political nationalistic lens, which is why, like, our show gets a lot of hate mail because we talk about things that people don't want to talk about. Uh, like, for me, I'm, I'm a Napoleon guy. I fucking love Napoleon. It's the main reason why I went to European history. He's a fucking idiot. <laughs> Like you can love a point of history. Realize that, yeah. Like I have, I have no like fucking misnomers about him. I know he was a goddamn idiot. He was a fucking god. Yeah, he could do no wrong. Um, It's all Zara Alexander's fault. But um, yeah, I think that, and the way to fix that is, I I don't know other than like blow everything up and start over. There's no way to fix this. Like, imagine. um, uh, I I grew up in Michigan. We have a a super super long uh, native history in Michigan. Like, a lot of uprisings happened there that we covered. I never learned about any of that fucking shit in school. Because they didn't want to talk about it because it just pretty much ends with white people slaughtering people in their beds. You know? Like, yeah. nobody wants to, nobody can learn about that. I don't, I, I don't know. You'd have to start all over again. So, uh, uh, I mean, and of course they say blow it up uh, figuratively. Uh, yeah. Uh, please don't cancel us, Patreon. <laughs> But uh, speaking of Patreon, we have Patreon. If you like our show, like to support, hey, our, like to support our show, uh, you can donate to us on Patreon. The link will be in the show notes. Uh, you can get bonus episodes, stickers, books, a whole bunch of other stuff. Access to the Discord where you can ask us questions in the Legion. Uh, and uh, maybe also some Spartan gruel made out of gunpowder and axle grease Ooh. mailed to you in a sock. Ooh. I feel like that's the, the correct uh, transportation method. Yeah, packaged in a sock, yeah. a sweaty sock. Yep. A crusty sock. A big toe hole in it. Yeah. Uh, but that is the French invasion of Russia. Nick, again, thank you for joining me both in person and uh, in undisclosed this location. This was awful. This is terrible. <laughs> <laughs> uh, more, I can say uh, I don't know where this series is going to fall on a hierarchy of fan favorites, but I do know this. More people froze to death in this series than any other one. For sure. <laughs> and it's going to be hard to fucking top it. <laughs> so until next time, everybody. Uh, uh, Keep warm, don't eat axle grease, and we'll see you next time. Yes, later.